So the be oh god. So the be <laughs> what? I can't say it. I messed it up in the earlier bit as well. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 16 of the Co-Conspirators podcast. I'm your host John and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Luke. Hi everyone. And Callum. Hello there. So I thought I'd start this off with just a quick shout out to those listening on YouTube. We really enjoy reading and interacting with your comments. But recently we haven't had as many. So if you're listening, please do feel free to drop us a comment. Now, anyway, this week we're looking at conspiracy theories involving planes. But in a surprising turn, we won't be discussing 9-11. Aviophobia, or fear of flying, is amongst the most common phobias, affecting 25% of people. I'm sure following this podcast, that figure will jump up. There were around 70 million global flights last year, so it comes as no surprise that there are many conspiracy theories involving planes and flights. Some of them are amongst the most well-known in history in recent times. So I'll hand over to Luke for our first theory. Thanks for that, John. And so for my theory, I'm going to be looking at the most infamous triangle in the world. And no, I'm not talking about the isosceles or the fundamental <laughs> shape underlying Johan Croy's total football, but I am indeed talking about the Bermuda Triangle. So the Bermuda Triangle is one of the oldest and most consistent conspiracies of all time, with many people believing it for well over 500 years, and some still believing it today, although to a lesser extent. For those of you who don't know, the Bermuda Triangle is commonly referred to as lying roughly between the Bahamas, Bermuda and Miami, and it's a place where numerous ships, planes and people have disappeared with no good explanation. The area of the triangle is often extended to include more lost vessels, and uh, is actually even in some instances extended as far as the Irish coast, which if you know geography, that's just a bit ridiculous and it's taking over half the world, but this creates a bit of a selection bias, so we prefer to look at the aforementioned definition. So reference to this area actually first came in 1492, when Christopher Columbus sailed through the area on his first voyage to the New World. The Italian reported that a great flame of fire crashed into the sea one night, and that a strange light appeared in the distance a few weeks later. Now these sound very strange, but have been put down by modern scientists as a meteor crashing into the ocean and a shooting star. Of course, given they can't know this for a fact, a certain aura definitely shrouds the area, and this aura was further spread across the upper class of the British elites when William Shakespeare's play The Tempest was supposedly written about a shipwreck within the Bermuda Triangle. Also worth noting is that Columbus also wrote about erratic compass readings in the area. This has been put down to a portion of the Bermuda Triangle being one of the few places on Earth where true north and magnetic north lined up, which causes the compass issues and it not to be pointing in the correct direction. Tragedies occurred in the era throughout history, and many are put down to storms and hurricanes, which isn't too unlikely considering the 10 o'clock weather report probably wasn't too accurate in 1738, and Bermuda also being in a common hurricane path. However, even with solid weather reports, this still persisted into the modern day. So one of the most infamous tragedies in the area occurred in March 1918, when the USS Cyclops, which is a 542-foot-long Navy cargo ship, sank somewhere between Barbados and the Chesapeake Bay. It had over 300 men on board and all died. What's interesting is the Cyclops never sent out an SOS distress call despite being able to do so, and an extensive search actually found no wreckage at all. Probably couldn't see where it was going, only had one eye. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't resist, sorry. No, I just love a good pun. So um, US President Woodrow Wilson said at the time that only God and the sea know what happened to the great ship. And what's further interesting is that in 1941, two of the Cyclops' sister ships similarly vanished without a trace along nearly the same route. So I haven't found any trace of three of these ships now in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, correct. I, I think the issue whenever there's a wreck of a plane or a ship in the ocean is, especially when it's in a, such a huge area like the Bermuda Triangle, like the B Bermuda Triangle, it might sound quite small, but 
it's like uh, 200,000 square miles. That's a huge portion <laughs> of the ocean to be searching in, and it's just kind of vast and a bit empty in a way. That's not very helpful when the ship doesn't really send out a distress signal yeah, and before I mean, it's demise. In 1918, it, it could be anywhere then. But they didn't know where it was when it went down. Now it could be absolutely anywhere. And it's just trying to find a needle in a haystack, really. A 500-foot needle in a tower as many thousand miles. 200,000 miles. 200,000 miles. Head, so, so basically, if you scale it down, it's exactly the same proportions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you ever go in that way on a plane, just have a peek out the window and have a look for us, Carl. I'm expecting to see raging hurricanes and ships and whirlpools and stuff with all the scaremongering you read about them you to try and yeah. I think one thing worth knowing about the Muda Triangle is it's actually one of the busiest shipping and uh, aviation routes. So many planes and so many ships go through it every day, especially before coronavirus as well. And I mean, people just don't really know they're in it. And suppose I could artificially inflate the number of ships going missing or crashes or what have you, just because of the sheer number of things passing over it. But if you were by choice taking a flight or a voyage, would you really want to cross the Bermuda Triangle knowing it's got a bit of a reputation, even though it's probably 100% safe? If it was a 50-50 choice, then I'd go with the other one. I don't think I'd be that bothered. I wouldn't be that bothered in a ship and maybe flying. I'd probably be a bit more cautious. I think what's worth noting about this actually is there was a point in time when insurance companies actually charged higher premiums for ships that went through the triangle just because there was a point in time when they thought that was a genuine risk. But I guess I guess it made sense because, I mean, it is a hurricane area. If you've got ships that are going through hurricanes versus ships that probably, just, you know, just go between Ireland and Liverpool or whatever, like yeah. more, more risk of something going wrong there. But yeah, so as mentioned, three ships went missing and these are just three of the famous ships. It was actually a rate of 20 ships or planes a year that were going down in the area, which could be coincidental. I guess one area has to have the most kind of shipwrecks and plane crashes. Well, again, you need to know out of how many. It's 30 out of 30 million. It's pretty good going. Yeah. For the sake of being unbiased, I will mention... It was 30 out of 31. Yeah. <laughs> I'm to that, yeah. I-, I will mention that in the modern day, there's nothing to suggest there's more crashes there than anywhere else in the world. No. But you, you don't know, um, things could have changed. The secret monsters under the sea could have suddenly passed away. <laughs> yeah, moving on to December 1945, and five Navy bombers, five American Navy bombers carrying 14 men, took off from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in order to conduct practice bombing runs over some nearby shoals. But with the compasses apparently malfunctioning, the leader of the mission got severely lost. All five planes flew aimlessly until they ran low on fuel and were forced to ditch at sea. The same day... A rescue plane and its 13-man crew also disappeared. I guess in that day and age where there's no GPS and you're kind of relying on a compass, if the magnetic field is messing it up a bit and the compass is pointing in the wrong direction, you can get lost. And if you've mm-hmm. only got a certain amount of fuel in and you can't see an island in the horizon or anything, you're, you're a bit screwed, really. Yeah, it's one of those moments where you'd start to say a little prayer when you've got it's such a vast um, space with no, no real way of contacting or being able to alert a rescue ship to your location. Just... And then for the actual um, rescue ship, did the rescue ship go missing as well? It did, yeah. Oh, goodness. I, I guess the thing is, there's it's not actually confirmed, but I guess what people think is there's a small area within the triangle itself where a lot of the ships and planes go down, and that's the area where the compasses malfunction and people get lost and just don't know where to go. And I guess that's what you'd argue it isn't really a problem in the modern day as such, because we don't need to rely on compasses anymore. Unless you're, of course, drawing a semicircle with a <laughs> protractor. But yeah, so far, perfect stuff with all those things. Nah, I can't. I, 
<laughs> but fast forward into the 21st century, and like the many ships and planes that went to the Bermuda Triangle and disappeared in the region, the Bermuda Triangle itself has kind of gone off the radar in recent years with little news of disappearances or abnormalities. I don't know about you, but when, when I'm kind of thinking of the Bermuda Triangle, it's, it's more from when I was a child. I don't really hear it mentioned much to any, anymore at all. No, there's a song, pop song called Bermuda Triangle. Oh. But, I mean, other than that, and yeah, it's not even really a conspiracy, is it? I don't think it's more of a like an urban legend sort of thing, a myth. Yeah, so, yeah. reaching a lot. Going back to all of our alien podcasts and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I believe the yeah, the Bermuda right, Triangle yeah. did feature in that. I think it was that Squadron of Bombers was part of the mm-hmm. plot. It turned up at the start of the film. I think it was eventually revealed that aliens had abducted them over the Bermuda Triangle, decided to return them. If Callum's very regarding Spielberg's close encounters of the third kind and him having some inside knowledge are true, then who knows, maybe uh, aliens really did abduct people in the Bermuda Triangle. I suppose it makes sense he wants to remain undetected, go to a place where he was getting you know, lost themselves, pick up a few stragglers, so you know, whisk them up into space and do studies on them. <laughs> Don't rule it out. But despite this kind of going off the radar in the very modern times, there have still been quite a few reported issues. Just in general, there's been a thousand reported deaths since the 1900s, with 52 of those being in the 21st century. The most recent major incident is the SS El Faro, which had a crew of 33 aboard, and it sank off the coast of the Bahamas within the Triangle on October 1st, 2015. There was also two plane incidents in 2017, with one private plane crashing in the area. And also a passenger airline flight, Turkish Airlines TK183, was forced to change its direction from Havana, Cuba to Washington Airport after some mechanical and electrical problems occurred over the triangle. With the Turkish Airlines flight, it's worth noting it's a common route. So if there was a problem over the certain part of the ocean, you'd expect it to happen almost every time. And the one-off that's kind of been happening every few years makes it seem a bit more mysterious. Originally, it was obviously just affecting compasses, but on this um, flight, somehow the powers to be have up their game and got it working on modern GPS as well. Lightning strike, going to take it struck by lightning, electric storm, who knows? Who knows? So yeah, as, as John mentioned, there isn't actually too much conspiracies surrounding the famous triangle. It's more of kind of like an urban legend. And realistically, it probably is more explainable by hurricanes and also the compasses by the electromagnetic fields lining up in the area. But there are plenty of conspiracies out there about the triangle. And I'll, I'll touch on a few of them now because they're quite interesting and sadly a bit all too far-fetched to be believable. But nevertheless first theory is the one I kind of touched on, and that's the aliens use the triangle as a portal to travel to and from our planet. And the area is the gathering station where they capture people, ships and aircraft to conduct research. And that's why you never really find the wreckages of the ships and planes that have gone missing there. I suppose the only thing that's made me doubt it slightly is that no search and rescue teams have found any alien ships in their travels. Well, the search and rescue teams themselves don't come back. Oh yeah, there we go then. Humans instincts to save other is giving the aliens a buy one get one free. <laughs> yeah, another theory is uh, government testing, and that's that the uh, U.S. Navy's Atlantic Undersea Test and Evaluation Center is located within the mysterious triangle. This is used as a hub to test submarines, weapons, sonar, secret projects, and some even believe reverse engineered alien technology. And people believe this sometimes goes a bit wrong, and that's why ships and uh, planes are crashed over the area. 
also they're testing the weapons on other ships that have had to be passing through. <laughs> bit harsh, isn't it? You've got to do it sometimes, haven't you? You chose to come through the Bermuda Triangle. Right? This is on you. If you think about it, it's a perfect ploy, really, isn't it? It's like if it goes down, everyone's like, it's a Bermuda Triangle. In reality, it's just the American Navy <laughs> testing all the reverse engineered alien weapons. How unlucky you have to be to first be hit by your own, say, like if you're a US ship just travelling through on your shipping lane, get hit by the US Navy. It turns out it's actually alien technology you've been struck by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then the aliens not been and take you off as well. <laughs> yeah, so the last conspiracy I'm going to touch on briefly and probably my favourite and the most far-fetched is that it's actually the souls of African slaves who had been thrown overboard by sea captains on their journey to the American states. And this is actually mentioned thoroughly in a book called Healing the Haunted by Dr. Kenneth McCall claimed that a haunting sound could be heard <laughs> while sailing in the notorious waters. And of course, there was no other explanation for this other than being the souls of the slaves. I know, no yeah. explanation whatsoever. Definitely not a howling wind or <laughs> So yeah, what do you guys think? Do you think is explainable by hurricanes and electromagnetic abnormalities or are there some deeper reasons behind the disappearances in the triangle? One thing I will say, what I find interesting is that despite how well known it is and the fact it's in a hurricane path, like no one's actually physically come out and said this is the reason why. It's all just kind of surrounded in a shroud of mystery in a way. Hmm. It would be interesting if some foolhardy individual or diehard conspiracist was to conduct a few, say, studies. To just take a ship right in the middle of the triangle and just wait and see what happens. Yeah. See how powerful these storms are. Or see if a big alien spaceship decides to pop up. Someone would have done it, though, on their own just to cross it. Yeah, so actually, actually one, one thing I didn't mention, which is probably quite damning in a way, is that there was a guy who was sailing around the world and completed his sail around the world and on his kind of way back disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle and it was a solo voyage. I mean, how do they know where he disappeared if he was on his own? I guess there was just updates on his reading away and, you know, it, it is a huge area. It probably takes a few days on a solo boat to navigate through that area. Right, so I suppose I'll jump in with some ratings, but I don't even know how I'm supposed to rate it. 10 out of 10, uh, that's all. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll rate it over, yeah. I'll just rate the overall mystery of it, I suppose. So in terms of conspiracy theory, I mean, as an urban legend, more so, it's one of the most famous ever. For the reasons you touched on, you know, it's got that reputation of being a mystery spot where everyone goes missing. And there could be various reasons for that. There could be no reason for that. But I think as an urban legend, it really captures your imagination, especially when you're a bit younger. So I'm going to go for an 8 out of 10 as an overall theory. And then in terms of believability, I think you've almost brought this down yourself when you've kind of discussed statistically, maybe it's not actually that more prone to ships sinking and disappearing and stuff than other areas. And that it's one of the busiest places on Earth, so it's clearly not really putting people off. But I like the idea. I mean, there's no smoke without fire, is there? So it's got that reputation for some reason or another. I think the most likely is probably that compass one, kind of messing up people's bearings. And I also heard something probably not, a, well, definitely not a very reliable source, but it's from Carl Wilkinson. <laughs> what are you on about? Who, who, you can't um, get more reliable. <laughs> but to be fair, this makes some a bit of sense, I guess. But he believes, or he read somewhere, that it was because of high levels of methane in the water, which apparently makes it very difficult to swim and it can sink a ship. So, I mean, Ricky Gervais pointed out quite quickly how does that explain the planes, which kind of stumped him. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that could provide some of an explanation. But I think believability. I'm going to go for a, a three out of ten. 
Yeah, just to add my own take on this one. I mean, obviously, by this point, people should be realised I'm a big fan of aliens. Any conspiracy that has aliens in automatically makes me want to believe it a little bit more. They're always cropping up everywhere. Could be behind the Illuminati at this rate. Wouldn't surprise me. But I, I do quite like the idea that the aliens have another ongoing deal with the um, US Navy now and their secret Atlantis-like underwater base trading technology and stuff. I know that's something I've come up with entirely off my own head, but I'd like it to be true, even though it's a bit, it's a little bit more we're thinking they're testing out these weapons on unsuspecting sailors and flights that happen to be they're already going off course due to the magnetic interference on their compasses just to find out their luck's really down that day they've been hit by an alien weapon so for that reason, I think it bumps my conspiracy rating up a little bit so I'm going to go for a seven and a half out of ten overall as the believability goes, I imagine that, say, a few hundred years ago, hearing about the Bermuda Triangle would inspire genuine fear in a lot of sailors just because of the tales, you think, of ships going missing, never to be found again, and obviously not having any sort of technology and having to rely on the compasses. Yeah, I also wonder if a lot, a lot less reliable search and rescue operations if they even existed back then. But I suppose even for ships to be going missing and no trace to be found whatsoever 20th and 21st centuries is certainly spooky when you had the howling wind potentially to be the, the voice of the souls or something like that what the guy's dead, very believable. I think as well <laughs> on that front though even though it is the 21st century I, I think last year there's a plane went down in the English Channel and it it took them days to find it and that that was even a professional footballer and everyone was kind of out searching for that oh, course, it still yeah. took them like six days and such a small area compared to what the Bermuda Triangle is yeah it's just never underestimate the force of nature and the, the power of the sea you think it looks alright when you're at the beach it's pretty tranquil but when you're out there in the middle of the ocean you get pretty crazy out there it just could be an area of just freak weather, just really powerful storms, crashing waves. But I think for that reason, it's, there's probably a logical explanation behind it, as much as I'd like to think it's aliens and all sorts of conspiracies. So, but my believability thing is going to go for a two, that it's something otherworldly out there <laughs> that's luring all these people to their deaths. But it's certainly a brilliant urban legend. Yeah, I think as well, it's kind of just echoing what you guys say. It's kind of explainable in a way, but it's interesting for um, growing up, hearing of this place where, you know, planes and ships went missing. It's it's scary. And, you know, I, I remember the first time I was flying around the area, I, I was genuinely a bit scared. I mean, in a way, I, I don't know if everyone is, but growing up, you're always a bit scared of going on planes um, just because of the stories you hear. And Oh, Still yeah, am. I know. I mean, it's always one of the thoughts in your head when you're looking down and you're that high up. But yeah, just for the fact of that, and it did have an impact on my life growing up, made me slightly afraid of flying. I'm going to score it quite highly as uh, urban legend rather than a conspiracy and go for an 8.5 out of 10. I was, I was a bit surprised that there wasn't more on this on the conspiracy front, but I guess that's because people just accept the freak weather in the air. It's on a hurricane path and people might not have known when a hurricane was hitting back in those days. And Although there was a plane crash in 2017, I think just looking at the news every now and then in the UK, there seems to be a couple of plane crashes every year of light aircraft. That's the thing. I never realised so, how big it actually was. No, I didn't. When you think, when you hear it, you think more yeah, localized. You think they're flying over this, You literally think they're flying over this tiny little area. Yeah, it's it's interesting why it's named the Bermuda Triangle because Bermuda is such a tiny island as well. 
But I'm, I'm going to score it low on the believability front. I think it's easily explained by logical reasons and kind of each case where each case I mentioned could also be explained. For example, um, I mentioned the US fleet that got lost. Apparently the compass is messed up. Um, the commanding officer said that the guy was hung over, <laughs> was a bit of a lunatic, and he'd also lost two planes in the past. So <laughs> seems it can be explained. I'm, I'm going to go for a, a three out of 10. But that, yeah, that's it for me. So over to you, John. What have you got for us? Right, so the theory I'm looking at, perhaps unsurprisingly, is uh, flight MH370. This is a Malaysia Airlines flight, and I'm sure you know everybody's heard of this. There's so many theories bouncing around around it. We could just do one episode only on this, but I'm just going to kind of look at one of those theories, and perhaps it's a slightly less well-known one. So, firstly, a little bit of background on it. Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 was a scheduled international passenger flight it disappeared on the uh, 8th of March 2014 while flying from Kuala Lumpur International Airport to its planned destination, Beijing Capital International Airport. That instantly raises suspicion with me, just the mention of Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps slightly unfair because I certainly don't really go into that side of the theory. I don't think you made it point. anywhere near there either. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a rough neighbourhood, that. Yeah, definitely. Tom would definitely describe it as a rough neighbourhood. The whole of Beijing. Yeah. <laughs> So despite the fact that missing aircraft in general are never a straightforward affair, what followed still came as a huge surprise to the entire world. The search for the missing aeroplane went on to become the most costly in aviation history, lasting three years across 120,000 square kilometres of ocean, but ultimately failed to locate the aircraft. A second search was launched in January 2018 by the private contractor Ocean Infinity, but also ended without success after six months. Tragically, All 227 passengers and 12 crew that were on board were presumed dead, and thus the disappearance of Flight 370 was the deadliest incident involving a Boeing 777 and the deadliest in Malaysia Airlines history until it was surpassed in both regards by Malaysia Airlines Flight 17, which we'll come on to later. Isn't there quite a few Malaysian Airlines flights that have gone down? Well, I kind of come on to that a bit later. But yeah, there are quite a few. Is there is there any kind of um like international pilot standards, or is it done by each country separately? I, I can imagine like Malaysia's pilot like routine is just relaxed as fuck, and anyone can become a pilot, and that's why they keep going down. I don't know. I can understand that for just domestic flights in Malaysia, but surely if you're flying into America or the UK, you're going to have to be up to the standards of those countries. But I don't know for sure. In terms of driving tests, and some some countries have very very relaxed test to get the license and you can still use those licenses i think to drive on foreign roads that is true but i suppose with a car you probably have to have a different license if you're being like a bus driver or a taxi driver because with a plane you've got passengers oh yeah so maybe private flights you might be able to use your own but you would hope at least there is some global standard and not just any old guy can just fly 400 passengers but who knows you can just pitch like having one throughout lesson next thing you know you're on the mh370 <laughs> So yeah, as, as we'll touch on later, Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 was shot down while flying over conflict-stricken eastern Ukraine just four months after Flight MH370 went down. The aircraft, a Boeing 777-200ER operated by Malaysia Airlines, last made voice contact with air traffic control at 19 minutes past one Malaysian time when it was over the South China Sea, less than an hour after takeoff. It disappeared from air traffic controller's radar screens at 1.22 but was still tracked on military radar as it turned sharply away from its original northeastern course to head west and cross the Malay Peninsula 
continuing that course until leaving the range of the military radar at 2.22 while over the Andaman Sea. This was 200 nautical miles northwest of Penang Island in northwestern Malaysia. Several pieces of marine debris found on the coast of Africa and on some of the Indian Ocean islands off the coast of Africa have all been officially confirmed as pieces of Flight 370, but the bulk of the aircraft and its passengers have never been found, prompting many conspiracy theories about its disappearance. Neither the crew nor the aircraft's communication systems related distress signal, any indications of bad weather or technical problems before the aircraft vanished. Two passengers were travelling on stolen passports on the flight and these were investigated but were quickly eliminated as suspects. Malaysian police identified the captain as the prime suspect if human intervention was found to be the cause of the disappearance after clearing all others on the flight of suspicion over possible motives. The news media reported several sightings of an aircraft fitting the description of the missing Boeing 777. For example, on the 19th of March, CNN reported that witnesses including fishermen, an oil rig worker and other residents in the Maldives saw the missing airliner. The fishermen claimed to have seen an unusually low-flying aircraft off the coast of Cotabaru, while an oil rig worker 186 miles south, uh, southeast of Vung Tau claimed he saw a burning object in the sky that morning a claim credible enough for the Vietnamese authorities to send a search and rescue mission. Indian fishermen also reported witnessing an aircraft crash near the Malacca Straits. Three months later, the Daily Telegraph reported that a British woman sailing in the Indian Ocean claimed to have seen an aircraft on fire in the sky. However, the only official explanation as it stands is that the aircraft crashed into the Indian Ocean and will likely never be found, a claim disputed by many conspiracy theorists. Just to clarify, because obviously my geography is not brilliant at the best of times, but just listing off random ports and fishing locations, most of these sort of triangulate and ramp out the same area, right? Yeah, yeah, they're all within sort of 25 miles of each other, I think. Okay, right, that's fine. Because not just people trying to make it up for a bit of attention, just to spice things up. Yeah, by the sounds of it, they're credible, but they, they still could have been made up. And it's only three witnesses out of potentially millions, if it really was flying in the sky on fire you feel like more people than three would have seen it yeah yeah plus there's being a plane in the sky so you know, that could yeah. you see a, a burning <laughs> plane it's definitely something you wouldn't forget yeah yeah exactly although i think only two of them said it was burning one of them just said he saw a plane flying low which i mean could have been anything how long after the um supposed takeoff was this sorry well it's hard to say because some came out on the day and said that they they saw it on the day but then some came out three months later saying that they saw it so mm-hmm. it's hard to substantiate any of the claims really some conspiracy theorists note that a boeing 777 does not have the structural integrity to survive crashing into the ocean and that it would be comparable to hitting a concrete wall at terminal velocity if flight 370 hit the ocean they say it would have broken into tens of thousands of pieces many of which float on water such as the seat cushions. And as a result, thousands of these pieces would have been seen washing up on regional shores or would have easily been spotted by search teams. Off the back of this, one theory surrounding the attacks that perhaps isn't the most well-known is that it relates to false flag terror, something we have touched on in previous episodes, and the nature of the reporting of terror attacks in different countries. For example, on 9-11, many countries reported the official narrative and have never since questioned it. However, not every country did this. Malaysia was very much in the minority with regards to how it reports Western terror attacks. John Lear, world record holder for flying the most amount of aircraft, uh, stated that with commercial aircraft of that magnitude, plane never stops communicating data to air traffic control, the manufacturer and governments. 
This is regardless of any electrical, mechanical or human failings, because otherwise this would present a huge design and safety flaw in any commercial airliner. When you say they don't relate the official narrative in Western terror attacks, do you mean that they kind of like just say, oh, it's the cause isn't known yet and they do a bit of investigation or do they just kind of leave it as that? Yeah, so it, I will come on to that later, but it, it's basically that in Malaysia and certain other countries as well, when, for example, a 7-7 bombings comes out, they will yeah. kind of look at it themselves and make their own minds up, whereas almost everyone else, particularly in the West, will have one story that everybody will I guess it is a, a Muslim-heavy country, so they want to point the fingers immediately. Play a quick game of conspiracy while they're at it. <laughs> As a result, John Lear maintains that even eight hours after supposedly ceasing contact, at the point the aircraft would have run out of fuel, someone would still have absolutely known where the aircraft was, namely Boeing and Rolls-Royce, as well as NORAD, because the planes are specifically designed to communicate information to the manufacturer of the engines and planes in case anything were to go wrong. Many conspiracists believe that Malaysia has been on America's hit list for a while due to the fact it's Islamic, considered by the West to be non-democratic, but above all has a very low American approval rating, owing massively to the Kuala Lumpur War Crimes Tribunal. You missed off a big one. Go on. Used to be communist back in the day. Well, exactly, that's why, yeah, it says about they're still considered to be non-democratic, probably owing to that communist past. Well, so this is all news to me. I thought Malaysia's one of those most nondescript countries. Going, I wasn't aware of all this. Malaysia's yeah, got be. a mess politically, totally. Yeah. So Kuala Lumpur War Crimes Tribunal was set up by former Prime Minister of Malaysia, Mahathir Mohamad, in 2007 to unilaterally and impartially investigate war crimes. It was set up in response to what he saw as failings in the International Criminal Court in trialling Western politicians such as George Bush and Tony Blair for their involvement in 9-11 and the Iraq War. In November 2011, Kuala Lumpur War Crimes Tribunal held a trial for Bush and Blair with prosecuting and defence lawyers for all parties. Bush and Blair were not present, but they were contacted numerous times and are said to have absolutely been aware the trial was going on. Both were ultimately found guilty of their war crimes. But this was never reported on in Western media and the International Criminal Court, despite being sent the information regarding the trials, never commented or did anything with it. In the months following the disappearance of flight MH370, numerous anti-Malaysian stories started to be published in the UK media. Firstly, a UK backpacker was reported to have had his throat slit whilst travelling in the country. Flight MH17 was then also blamed by the UK media, saying that it shouldn't have flown in the area that it did. And then also two British students were then reported to have been murdered in Borneo whilst on a trip. Kind of getting on to some of the numbers and why some see it as suspicious. So in 2013, there were 25 million flights uh, and around 200 deaths. In 2014, the year of flight MH370 and this supposed anti-Malaysian narrative, there were 537 deaths on Malaysian airlines alone. Given Malaysian airlines make up only 0.42% of the world's flights, they had made up in that one year alone almost 250% of the previous year's deaths for the Jeez. entire world. I know, so dodgy pilots or perhaps something else to play, you know. I was going to say, because 200 deaths a year, was it, for 2013? That's not even yeah. the total capacity of a 747 or 777. Yeah, I know, so there must have been literally no kind of Major huge commercial yeah. airliner crashes in the whole year, which I suppose shows just how Chopper safe Quince. and unlikely they are now. Isn't that the year Chopper Quincy went down? Yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't have been 200 people on that, though, would there? No, no, that was like 30. and I mean, yeah. some survived as well. 
I don't know how he's like a survivor plane. Oh crash. god! I mean, I'm assuming that it's either a crash landing or crashing at takeoff, right? I'm assuming that's literally the only plausible way to survive. Oh yeah, it wouldn't have been two planes crashing into each other. I mean, like a normal plane crash, like over the ocean or over land, yeah, zero chance. But like, if, mm. if it's just a messed up landing, I don't know. Who knows? So yeah, as we've kind of touched on there, statistically, this presents a very clear anomaly, leading many to believe that these figures were not actually accidents, but they were actually intentionally done to discredit Malaysia and paint it as an unsafe country in need of regime change, thus also discrediting the findings of the Malaysian court regarding Bush and Blair and their involvement in 9-11 and the Iraq war. The anomalies with such a flight, such as the lack of signal, clear abrupt left turn with no obvious reason to do so, complete lack of wreckage and the lack of communication from Boeing or Rolls-Royce regarding the location of the flight point to more than just a pilot gone rogue. The implication here being that the US and or UK government made the decision to shoot down or even stage the missing flight entirely to discredit the Malaysian government and their findings regarding the Iraq war. So a bit of a different spin on that maybe that you're expecting on that theory, but uh, I'll hand over to you guys for some thoughts and some ratings. There's definitely a different take on it. I wasn't expecting that, given that even though it's relatively recent, I, I really can't remember very much about this, apart from the fact it's one of the biggest plane crashes or aviation conspiracies around. There really aren't many concrete theories, to be honest, as to what happened, because in essence, it lost signal, supposedly, whether it did or didn't is somewhat up for debate. And then if you're buying the, the idea that it lost signal, you had nowhere contacting it, then it's literally a plane that's gone up and in essence never came down. So it's very difficult to even theorise where it went or what happened. It did the massive U-turn though, didn't it? And just Wasn't it just going in the complete wrong direction? It did an abrupt left turn, which, you know, for no obvious reason, and then carried on that route and then passed out of military radar range and was never seen again. I mean, that sort of course deviation would maybe imply it would probably been one of the things like a hijacking sort of event where someone's got into the cockpit and told the captain, right, right, I'm in control now, you're going where I want you to go. But either that or just the captain's got a bit bored and decided right, to spice <laughs> things up. I don't know, maybe personal vendetta, something like that, mentally unstable, who knows. I think what's also worth knowing is John mentioned this might be to kind of get some regime change within Malaysia and What's interesting is that in 2018, the ruling party in Malaysia lost an election for the first time in 60 years. So you could argue in some respect adds credibility to the theory as there was regime change. And it was to more, it was to a more Western-centric government. Oh, well, there you go. 10 out of 10 believability coming my way. Yeah, that's the Malaysian regime, this war crimes trial. It just seems like such a bizarre circumstance to try two incredibly high-profile names in the West in a relatively small country without them being there, having defence and prosecution lawyers for both parties, basically defending the idea of Bush and Blair rather than them actually being there. That seems really strange. I'm not sure what they were hoping to get with them, because even if they find them guilty, what is... Uh, the Western world going to do with that information, really? Well, what they were hoping would happen is, I mean, according to them, they're probably biased, but according to them, they actually did like, you know, a proper trial, probably with lawyers, went into it, you know, with an open mind and just wanted to see how they found it with their top lawyers in the country and see what their opinions on it were. And they were then going to present these findings to the Western world and more importantly, kind of international court that deals with these matters usually but then they obviously found bush and blair guilty sent it to the international criminal court who basically ignored the information and nothing really came of it yeah because they definitely would not have been the first to accuse bush and blair of war crimes there's been certain lots of people much closer to home who have been doing that as well so that is an interesting development it definitely adds some credibility to this argument i think and then also luke's revelation that there has been regime change since 
as well as the statistical anomaly of there being almost well more than double the amount of or the average number of deaths on Malaysian Airlines alone for one year. But counting things the other way, though, I'm not sure how okay, a couple of plane crashes were two tragic events, if we're assuming that's exactly what happened, how that's really going to sway either a country or governments or what have you to change or find the people to vote them out based on two plane crashes. But it just seems like a bit of an odd one to try and sway the tide of an election or... Yeah, I, th- I think I think the idea was, according to this theory, basically to try and discredit the country as a whole. So we had all these other stories about people going on holiday there and getting their throats slit and then to say, you know, look at their international travel, their planes aren't safe, their pilots aren't safe. So clearly they need a shake-up as a country. They need more Western influence on them. They can't just go on being you know, doing their own thing sort of thing because they can't be trusted because they're, they're making the argument, you know, the current leaders are inadequate, incompetent. They found Bush and Blair guilty, so just trying to rubbish that claim yeah, before it really gets out. So, yeah, I think it was just a chain of events culminating with these two huge plane crashes that were just trying to get the Western world, but maybe people in Malaysia as well to think, well, yeah, maybe we are a bit unsafe. We're not run very well and try and get a revolution now. I'd imagine that Malaysia is one that's been on America's radar for a long time, given kind of its communist uprising in like the 60s. And then also the fact it's been ruled by this same party for 60 years. And I, I think as well, it's it's an easy target in a way for America. It's a very traditionally Islamic country, but at the same time, it's super diverse in that there's a lot of people from a Tamil background and a lot of people from a Chinese background that are not allowed to ever step into politics because that's the way the law works there so you know there's an easy easy target for an uprising you've got these people who are kind of oppressed within their country and i mean they want change more than anyone so a few events and a bit of a chain reaction there you go america's done it again saved the world from evil (laughs) against a country that definitely does not have the power to fight back i mean you say that vietnam yeah i suppose that's a completely different situation you think because America decided to go there and fully invade them, not knowing what they were getting yeah. into. That's a whole as a can of worms, I think. Yeah, when that failed, that's when they went into all this false flag stuff. Play it on the down low, so no one expects them. Yeah, so it's like there's <laughs> these um, little stories about tourists being murdered, etc. It's just little appetizers. Then we'll serve them the the main course of two plane incidents. Let's say it's just crazy that John Lear coming out and saying and basically rubbishing the claims that there, there's no contact from the plane. It's impossible to trace where it went. Given that several different instruments, uh, they'll never stop communicating with their manufacturers. I found that part really interesting too because it it would make sense. It doesn't make sense that you know a plane can go slightly off course and then we'll lose contact with everything we have gps we, we can fire gps signals and whatever thousands and thousands of miles and so for a plane that's always going to fly that same distance you would think it would have to go halfway around the world to even get close to coming out of range so yeah i found yeah. that part quite interesting that nobody could gain any sort of contact with it isn't it quite common though for planes to go down and people just have no idea where they go it always seems to be the case that you lose communication and lose radar it's common with air traffic control that you would lose communication because they're having to do so many planes at once and only in a very certain area because then they hand over to another air traffic control tower but i think in terms of the manufacturers yeah it's something that's perhaps not very well known about never know might be part of a wider conspiracy but 
he certainly seems to think that Rolls-Royce and Boeing at the absolute minimum would know exactly where this plane was at all times because it was fitted with their parts that would have their own tracking systems on them. Then again, you think Boeing and Rolls-Royce, American and British companies, could be on the conspiracy. Exactly. I think it's a really interesting take on it. I was certainly not where I was expecting the MH370 conspiracy to go. So for that reason, it's a, you give it a 9 out of 10. I really enjoyed this one. And also, it does leave the avenue open to explore some of the... I mean, not saying the less believable angles, but the ones that have maybe less evidence behind them, just given the nature of the... It's very difficult to find out what happened, because you've not found very much wreckage at all by the actual plane, etc., and there are certainly a few little statistics, bits of information here that seem to substantiate the claim. And when you take into account the wider context of the communist uprising, Malaysia being viewed very unfavourably by the West, and of the inflammatory trial of Bush and Blair, which I definitely think that US especially would want to brush under the carpet, given Bush's dealings with, say, like 9-11, the whole Iraq war. As for Tony Blair, for the less said about him, the better, in my opinion. <laughs> That's the thing, they're controversial enough as it is without an official trial from an official other country's government and legal system finding them both guilty of war crimes. You think that's probably the closest they're ever going to get to be put, actually put on trial for some of the actions they've done that definitely could be described as war crimes. That's how you look. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if I was going to give it a believability score, say um, the last week's episode discussing false flag terror, I think this is wet the whistle, certainly, to do some more exploration. There's so many different cases now, if you're lumping this in with it as well, it's certainly got some credibility. I think for that reason, I'm going to go for a bold, I think I'm going to go for a bold 6.5 out of 10 on believability, just because there doesn't really seem to be any other credible explanation as to what, how a flight could go missing in such a way with, say, no communication despite manufacturers' um, guarantees, um, lack of motives from passengers. I think that they did thorough background checks. And of course, it just seems so, so strange for a plane to make such an abrupt turn and there's no evidence. Because if you think it was hijacked, There'd be mayday signals. They'd be communicating. We're sending right, right. We've been, we are under attack. This is why we've taken this course correction for nothing to come out. It's certainly suspicious. Okay, thank you very much, Callum. I'm very happy with that believability rating. I'll take that all day. Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts? Yeah, going on what Callum said, it is in the way I expected it to go, but it's a really interesting angle. Um, I feel like you could have got so much out of this. There's so many conspiracies out there, but to you know go into so much depth in one of the less known ones, you've you've done a good job, and it was really interesting. So I'm going to score it highly as well and go for a nine out of ten. What I really found interesting is I never really knew you know this kind of Western intolerance towards Malaysia. I've never thought of it that way, but to be honest, it does make sense. You know, it was a country that's had the same regime for sixty years, country that. Was at war out in the 50s, I believe. So, you know, that same regime was involved there, no doubt. And at the same time, it's a country that's kind of taken the American flag and stuck a Muslim symbol on it. So, there's no, no doubt that America's not particularly liking that one. But yeah, it's it's really, really hard to say because, you know, it's just something that we really don't know what's gone on. And, you know, if there was something seriously up with it you'd expect there to be some kind of communication like especially when this huge left turn was taken and they're still within radar and still within communication you expect someone to go up and say what the hell is going on on this plane and you expect some kind of response but because there's none of that it's a bit eerie and makes you wonder like who's doing this and what's going on there and also that you know it was never found but yeah, adding the stories of the missing backpackers and, you know, I think also recently, what I find really interesting is that the regime that we just mentioned that was in for 60 years and finally got overthrown, 
has now come back into the power this year. And I, I remember seeing literally the other day resurface news stories of a young British disabled girl who was murdered in Malaysia. And that does seem to get brought up a lot. So maybe there is something to John's claims there. Got to keep our eyes out in the papers from now on. Anything about Malaysia, see how negative it is. Yeah, and I mean, given America especially is interference in South America during the Cold War and, you know, also Vietnam, you, you wouldn't put it past them to do something in this country they've clearly got a bit of a dislike to. So I'm actually going to go for a 5 out of 10. I don't find it too ridiculous at all. Okay, thank you very much. I'll quickly rate my own. Yeah, I did I did enjoy doing perhaps a, a less well-known take on it. I think some of the explanations out there are a bit ridiculous. And this one at least seems to have some grounding, in fact, you know, with the whole court thing and uh, very real reasons for America and, and the UK to perhaps find an enemy in Malaysia. Uh, and then also the interesting part about the signals and certain people in aviation believing that it, it wouldn't completely lose signal at any point. So, yeah, I, found, I certainly found it really interesting. I'm going to go for a 9 out of 10 overall. And then believability. I think, again, that there's so many wild ones about this theory and some will be touched on in conspiracy later on so stick around for that but um yeah it certainly is one of the more believable ones so yeah i think it's hard to rate i think it's still quite a bold claim saying you know it was it was either intentionally tampered with or shot down by the west in order to turn public opinion against malaysia and view them all as incompetent things like that but yeah there still isn't an official explanation there is still no official narrative about what actually happened and why it happened so i think i'm going to go for a six out of ten on believability and that wraps up my theory and i'm now going to hand over to callum for his all right thanks very much john you guys have covered two of the biggest flight related conspiracy theories with Flight MH370 being one of the most widely recognised aviation mysteries in recent memory, and the Bermuda Triangle having been infamous for hundreds of years. In comparison, my conspiracy might have flown under the proverbial radar for many, myself included. Mm-hmm. Exactly there, I hope you spot that one. <laughs> it's not like me and John both use that joke about five times. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist. But yeah, I was getting back to the theory. Uh, so prior to doing my research for this episode, the fate of Korean Airlines flight 007 was not something I was ever aware of. So without further ado, I'm going to outline some of the truths and some of the conspiracies surrounding the airline disaster on the 1st of September 1983, where all 269 passengers and crew on board KAL 007 lost their lives. It's not related to the Korean Intelligence Service, is it? Not the Korean Intelligence Service, it's Korean Airlines, I think KAL, and then 007 is just a chance name. You love it. Yeah, which is elevated theory somewhat. Reminds me of a time as a kid, I, I went to a caravan park and I stayed in Caravan G6. And <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, so the 007, it seems quite appropriate given some of the theories that I will later detail. The Flight 007 was shot down by a Soviet Su-15 interceptor after deviating 200 miles from its original planned route and flying through prohibited airspace. The official narrative states that the Boeing 747 airliner was en route from Anchorage, Alaska to Seoul but due to a navigational mistake made by the crew, deviated from its original planned route. This was attributed to complications between the autopilot system and navigational computers, which did not recognise the magnitude of the deviation from the plotted course. Surrounding air traffic control systems also failed to notify the plane about its changing course. I'll avoid going into lengthy details regarding specifics of the different navigational systems, autopilot settings and radio frequencies that fostered said circumstances, and it's a lot to get one's head around. Nevertheless, to summarise the situation, the flight was meant to take a southwesterly arcing path over Japan, 
the navigation error produced a flatter, more northerly trajectory. So this meant the plane found itself encroaching on the prohibited airspace of the Kamchatka Peninsula in southeast Russia. I think that's already quite suspicious. One that the pilots and their own onboard GPS and all that haven't noticed. And then also the air traffic control haven't noticed it either. It's kind of already sort of three failings in one, which is already pretty suspicious and unusual. Oh yeah, definitely. There's quite a lot more to come on that. But just for a bit of context, so by 1983, like Cold War tensions between the US and Russia had reached heights not seen since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Russia perceived US military initiatives and exercises as inflammatory, believing that the Americans were planning a preemptive nuclear strike against the Soviet Union. The US, um, sort of in response, or as part of their uh, monitoring of the Russian nuclear situation, regularly flew reconnaissance missions over the Kamchatka Peninsula, which the Soviets were unable to intercept. Didn't America have um, some kind of stealth planes as well that were impossible to pick up on radar? Yeah, various um, different stealth planes. We mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts, I think it was the UFO ones, like the Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird, which was at its peak around this time. And it was basically too fast to be shot down and flew too high for missiles to be effective against it. They're the maddest looking planes ever. I had the privilege of seeing one about a week ago and they look just as futuristic and Star Wars-like in the flesh as they're in the pictures. They are just so cool. Just the fact that it's all black as well, I think that adds to it. I know. So, preceding the disaster, there was heightened alert around the peninsula because of a Soviet missile test scheduled for the 1st of September, the date of the disaster. A US Air Force Boeing RC-135 was flying reconnaissance around the time that Flight 007 was airborne. The Soviet Air Force had been tracking the South Korean aircraft for over an hour and classified the aircraft as a military target when it re-entered their airspace over Stakhalin. Appearing oblivious to the situation, Flight 007 began climbing. Let's later reveal that this was in the interest of fuel economy, exchanging speed for a higher altitude. Unfortunately, the pursuing um, Soviet fighters perceived this as an, an evasive manoeuvre because it caused the planes to completely overshoot the airliner. So they thought, right, it's trying to dodge us. This was like communicated over the radio. There's transcripts of this. So did they not? Because normally when you scramble jets, you radio into the target plane saying, kind of, if you carry on like this, we're going to shoot you down. So did that happen? Well, there's some controversy about this. I think initially the Russia, I think they claimed they tried to establish radio contact and failed. But later transcript revealed that there was no attempt to make radio contact at all. Mm. Warning shots were fired, but the um, airliner appeared completely oblivious. I think the explanation was they didn't use tracer rounds, they just used ordinary rounds that couldn't be seen at night. It was like it's a pitch black middle of night when this exchange took place. So what are tracer rounds like? Flares almost? Basically, yeah, they're the ones you can sort of see in military clips, these arcing white streaks. Essentially, they're very visible compared to an ordinary mm. bullet. Just as Flight 007 was about to leave Soviet airspace for the second time, the shoot-down order was given. Air-to-air missiles were fired, crippling the plane, which eventually crashed into the sea near Monoron Island, west of Sakhalin, in the Sea of Japan. The controversial actions taken by the Russian authorities did not end the shooting down of the airliner, which of course spawned several conspiracy theories. Many of these are based on suppression of evidence, such as the flight data recorders, amidst a backdrop of Cold War disinformation and propaganda. After reading some of these theories, 007 seems a very fitting flight number, because some of them could be just taken straight out of the plot of a classic Bond film, <laughs> especially given it's the Cold War. So as John picked up on earlier, the first angle of investigation examines the nature of the flight path deviation, with several theories that range from a lack of situational awareness by the pilots, a deliberate and calculated deviation from the course, 
or an inertial navigation system programming error by 10 degrees of longitude. However, it's since been established that if the INS was programmed erroneously, an incorrect aircraft system position would not register relative to the original intended flight plan. Basically, the system would think it's flying on the correct path, so all the displays would appear normal. And according to the International Civil Aviation Organization, recordings from the flight recorder details bantering and casual cockpit conversation, which indicates that the pilots were completely unaware of any deviation at the times of the encroachment to hostile airspace, which you think if you found out received some warning, there'd be a mass panic of activity to try to course correct, realising you're now hundreds of miles away from where you're supposed to be. However, having veered more than 12 nautical miles off course, Flight 007 would have been unable to make direct radio ports with nearby air traffic control towers and would instead rely on relaying information via the next scheduled flight following the same path, or the correct path, which was flight KAL-015, which was just minutes behind and perfectly on course. By being forced to basically relay their radio signals via the second plane instead of going direct, 007 should have put two and two together and realised that they were well, of course. Further evidence from the presence of Flight 015 was that the two craft had exchanged weather reports, which played very different wind conditions. 007 was encountering headwinds, while 015 reported tailwinds. It's basically the complete opposite. This <laughs> evidence basically gives the implication that the pilot should have recognised this and taken some action, which has then gone on to perhaps imply that the deviation was intentional, given that all accounts note that the pilots had several sources of information that could have alerted them to their increasing deviation from the planned route. It's also been alleged that unintentional deviation from course would have alerted the aforementioned US RC-135 reconnaissance plane, so it's currently monitoring the area. The spy plane may have even detected Soviet radio chatter regarding the wayward Flight 007 and warned it of its danger, as well as informing its own command in civilian air traffic controllers. Is there a reason why they would intentionally deviate? Well, I'm just about to come on to that now. I was going to say, I'm hoping he's coming on to that. (laughs) If you leave that part out. So, yes, this has led to theories that suggested that the flight was part of a spying mission arguing that the investigation by the International Civil Aviation Authority was a cover-up of a carefully planned ferret mission, which is what American reconnaissance missions were nicknamed, flying over Soviet airspace, trying to monitor for nuclear activity. It goes so far as to suggest that the flight recorder was planted for the Soviets to find. Planned spy mission theories basically point out the incongruency of a civilian airliner going accidentally astray in one of the most military-sensitive, well-observed area during the Cold War. They also point out those powerful land and sea radar arrays that could have tracked Flight 007 as it crossed the NORAD-prohibited civilian flight zone and approached and entered Soviet territory. These basically military installations specifically for the monitoring of aircraft amongst this no-fly zone. Another angle pins the blame on the Americans or the Japanese in an interesting turn of events. So Flight 007 was intended to trigger Soviet air defences covering for other US surveillance flights, almost as like a bogey sort of situation where the Russians pick up this one and allows other US flights to remain undetected or almost on a lower priority. Details have emerged that the Korean aircraft was apparently communicating directly with other KAL flights 46 minutes after the official time of the shootdown. So this seems to imply that the Russians weren't actually responsible for shooting it down. It seems to imply it wasn't shot down at all. Slightly building on that, apparently there was a large air battle taking place between the Soviet Air Force and the Americans, during which the Soviets shot down several American aircraft. Um, There's no real judgment on who actually shot down the plane because it did crash at some point. The theory postulates that the real course of production could have been a surface-to-air missile fired from a US warship. 
similar to the case of the USS Vincennes, shooting down of Iran Air Flight 655, or even from Japanese forces who were unable to identify the airliner, which was keeping radio silent. Another angle that supports this theory further is that the supposed crash site had a suspicious lack of crash remains and evidence of body parts and wreckage around the Monoron Islands was where the fight was reported to have crash-landed, suggesting that it downed somewhere else. However, most of these theories were presented before the flight recorder was actually presented. It took 10 years for the Soviets to actually release information contained within the recordings. And since, along with that, transcripts have emerged of the Soviet military's chain of command in response to the developing situation, which did detail a shoot-down order. However, there's still some discrepancy about where the plane eventually crash-landed and the apparent lack of remains, which several theorists have attempted to answer, and supposed to answer the question why there were no bodies, body parts or body tissues, and no luggage found at the crash site. The first theory, perhaps the most far-fetched, is that the bodies were eaten by giant Japanese crabs. (laughs) I mean, the Japanese spider crabs are big buggers. I'm not sure that feasting on human remains right down to the skeletons. I don't require <laughs> a taste for Louis Vuitton suitcases. <laughs> Another equally far-fetched, but you don't know what it's like to be shot down sh- oh, for a plane to be hit by a missile, suggests that the rapid decompression following the missile impact caused the plane to shear in two, basically breaking off the back of it, I think you're implying, causing the passengers to be sucked out of the aircraft, leaving their clothes behind. This may also explain why articles of clothing and other identified remains were washed up many miles away from ported impact sites. And there's also reports that many clothes were found fully zipped up. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. If you're in this fully zipped up jacket, it's how could your like, like shoulders come through the like neck hole? More likely that it's out of the suitcase or something. That's probably much more like, yeah. a much more likely situation. But the obviously conspiracy theorists didn't seem to entertain that idea. By that logic, if you skydive, you would land on the ground naked. <laughs> Maybe the Japanese spider crabs don't like fabric, so only eat the skin. Just eat it very carefully, eat it around it somehow, maybe <laughs> remove the skeletons as well. Unzip the jacket and zip it back up. Yeah, but they're opposable claws, haven't they? <laughs> However, a more sinister angle to suggest that Soviet authorities remove the bodies, with findings that emerged from civilian dives just two weeks after the crash, implying that the wreckage corresponded to a secondary placement and the removal of both the passengers and air crew of Flight 007 by the Soviet Navy, who they claim had been at work prior to them, using both divers and trawlers, basically suggested that in the two weeks before the actual investigations by diving teams, Soviet Navy conducted their own investigation, moved all the bodies in an attempt to corroborate their story of events, which was at the time they hadn't shot down the plane. So as I mentioned earlier, it's worth noting it took 10 years for Soviet authorities to come clean with the flight recorded details. And that did contain much of the information that challenged some of these theories. Nevertheless, the investigation dives conducted by the US and Japanese authorities were not without controversy, as they had to contend with disruptive tactics and interference employed by the Soviet Navy. There's quite a long list of some of the uh, actions taken by the Soviets, which included false flag and fake light signals, sending an armed boarding party to uh, threaten to board US vessels, interfering with a helicopter coming off the USS Elliot, attempted ramming of rigs used by the South Koreans in their quadrant search, setting false pingers in deep international waters, sending backfire bombers armed with air-to-surface nuclear-armed missiles to threaten U.S. naval units, crisscrossing in front of U.S. combatant vessels, cutting and attempted cuttings of moorings of Japanese vessels and radar lock-ons by Soviet cruisers. Quite the list there of, I don't know what they're trying to achieve with this, it seems like it's been a constant annoyance, but an annoyance that also has nuclear weapons. (laughs) 
It just seems a bit petty, but if they're trying to hide something, they want to hold it up as much as they can. Yeah, it seems like that, but surely with all of this activity, the US realised something suspicious is afoot. This is not the normal um, investigation they'd have to contend with and trying to dive to find the wreckage. I mean, I think they find it suspicious enough as it is without them doing that, I think. Yeah, that's... it's probably quite expected. I think tactics were like that, just full stop during the cold already. Be annoying as hell, but not <laughs> annoying enough to um, actually start any nuclear war. But I find it weird that there weren't more, unless there were more major repercussions to this, because Soviet shooting down a passenger airline with 160 people on board gives an excuse for the US to have some retaliation. Yeah, interestingly enough, one of the passengers on the plane was US Democratic Congressman Larry McDonald, who was a prominent anti-communist. That just fed further into the conspiracies as it was a deliberate act by the Russians. So just to wrap things up then, did the Russians actually have something to hide or were they justified in a decision to shoot down the airliner? Or do you believe the more far-fetched theories that the US and Japanese were involved in covering up a reconnaissance mission that went horribly wrong? There's one thing for certain that this is a tragic event and there are still several angles I've yet to cover in the interest of time. I'd definitely like to revisit the fate of KL007 in a potential follow-up episode. But in the meantime, I'll throw it over to you guys. Was it a genuine human or mechanical error that caused the flight to deviate so far from its course? Or was it involved in a wider conspiracy to spy on Russian nuclear activity? So yeah, I think this is a really interesting one just because it seems like a type of thing that would be really high profile and yet I think any of us had heard of it which I think is weird in of itself, to be honest. But yeah, I found this one really interesting. You know, the fact there's a few different angles you can take. No one on board survived. They didn't really find the remnants of the bodies and things like that and tie in Cold War tensions and all that. I think it gives you a really good conspiracy theory. So I think in terms of an overall score, I'm going to go for an 8 out of 10. Very solid. In um, terms of believability, again, you kind of have to split it in terms of what I think actually happened, I suppose. Yeah, I think for the believability on this one is, was it a thought, either a mistake, a misification yeah. of mistaken identity, or was it a deliberate act of war, essentially? Hmm. So what's the official story, by the way, that, that they flew there by accident and have Russia said they shot it down by accident or have they said they believe it was military? I think Russia's official line since was that they believe it was a military threat based on the fact that it can respond to warning fire. They got a claim initially that they did try to make radio contact, but this was later revealed that they didn't. But they shot it down intentionally because it was encroaching on prohibited airs. Yeah. Yeah. And they thought it was a US spy ship. Yeah, I think I would decide more towards that one, just because I think that, as touched on, the fact that all those types of communication failed and the pilots had a few sort of indications that they were a long way off course, and they would have known that there was a a no-fly area and sort of limited airspace in that area as part of their brief, even though they were a fair way off course, they would have known there was always that risk, because you can quite easily get blown quite a long way off course, so they would have been aware of that. So I think the fact that they, you know, struggled with communication, didn't really do anything to correct it, and then sort of supposedly Russia tried to contact them, heard nothing back, does add weight to the theory that maybe there was something a bit more going on rather than it just being an accident. I think maybe the fact that they were heard laughing and joking would go against that, but you could make the case that, you know, perhaps that never happened if it actually was an undercover spy mission. So I think in terms of believability for it being, you know, some sort of flying mission that was shot down because in essence it got caught yeah i think i might go for a six and a half because i i think given everything you said that is more likely than it being a pure accident that they've flown into the one zone they couldn't fly in that they ignored all these warnings and signs i think it's more likely that it actually was some sort of undercover spying mission maybe done in a civilian aircraft to 
to almost try and get away with it yeah. if they were spotted. Because they did a few suspicious things, like you say, like flying up high, almost perfectly evading the jets, things like that. So yeah, I think it's more believable that it actually was a spy mission rather than an accident and an, a normal commercial flight. So yeah, six and a half on that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So about you, Luke? Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I think the Cold War is just such an interesting time in history. And as much as we might like to think America's the right side, there was definitely some dodgy tactics on both sides of the war. There's actually some very interesting declassified files on the Cold War from the States where they kind of detail their actions like in South America, where they just openly go in and mess things up just to shake it up and support and train up rebels within America to overthrow the communist leaders. Um, And it'll be interesting to see in the future if any more kind of declassified files come out surrounding the Cold War in Russia, because... As far as I'm aware, there's not too many out there. If any time was an appropriate time to do it, I think now would be, yeah. you know, just given that Putin's probably pulling the strings of Trump, if you'd believe that angle. So these perceived relationships between two countries to be fairly amicable. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think just because of all the kind of weird ongoings of the Cold War, it's, it's always going to be interesting to hear a conspiracy because you never know. There's always a chance that there's believability to it. So as a theory, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. And then in terms of believability, it seems very strange that it'd be an accident to just completely fly into the wrong zone. As far as I'm aware, Alaska to Seoul isn't anywhere near the Bermuda Triangle, so they can't <laughs> um, electromagnetic currents down to the electronics messing up or anything or like that. Or the portal that's in the middle of it. No, I, I don't work in air traffic control, but if planes could seriously go that crazily wrong off route, I mean, it seems like a pretty impossible job, and I've got a lot of respect for anyone that does it. Yeah, we have missed the trick here, not getting <laughs> our resident air traffic controller. He's out of work at the moment, so I'm sure he's got plenty of free time. <laughs> <laughs> True. I'm kind of torn between it being a spy plane and also being shot down by Russia with, like, little warning shots, I guess, because I feel like Russia probably a bit chuffed off like yeah being outsmarted by americans overall and if there's you know these stealth planes that the americans built first are able to go into russia and go undetected by radar and you know they just get annoyed and they might think oh this airplane that's gone slightly off path american spy plane let's just shoot it down let's like not kind of worry about the repercussions of it a bit but i guess as well if they did have contact with it and they found out it was like a korean airlines flight they might think this is a bit of a win-win given the americans and the koreans alliance and the way um the soviets were kind of propping up north korea during that period at the same time i, th- I think it's very risky and i'm not sure the soviets would be as stupid to shoot down the plane knowing it because you'd expect some kind of retaliation from america especially if you said democratic congressman on board but yeah at the same time a passenger plane is quite a, a smart move because you'd assume that the russians wouldn't shoot it down so wouldn't be surprised if it was some kind of spy mission so i'm actually siding a bit with john there and i'm gonna go for a five out of ten for that fair enough right just to wrap things up i think like having researched it still my line of thinking is very much aligned with what you picked up from what i've relayed basically given that the russians seemed a little bit gung-ho especially not following proper procedure and trying to make contact despite saying they did had they have made contact and they could be received complete radio silence. I think they'd be a bit more justified in than firing warning shots and then making a decision to fire them with dogs because that would have at least given the indication there'd be something coming through for the pilots on the radio or the radio saying, right, there's a couple of fighter jets trying to make contact. You might mind to do something. And ignorance of that would have basically alluded to the fact it was a spying mission, which we're still not entirely sure of. But as a rating, I really enjoyed researching this one. When I was doing my initial just scan of what's flights, I clicked through a couple but this one really jumped out me just so much about it and i think i'm going to give it 
solid eight and a half out of ten. There's still a couple of theories I'd like to revisit potentially, as I mentioned. The believability is a really funny one. I suppose the one of the biggest points of contention is the lack of wreckage, body parts, clothes, etc., and luggage. That basically you think though how choppy the seas are, different currents, tides, etc., could be washing up all over the place. And the fact that it's not 100% certain where the point of crash was, and also just the disruptive behaviour of the Russians during the joint investigations by the US and the Japanese does seem to paint them in a bit more sort of a suspicious light. But then again, you're not um, discounting the fact that the US may have been spying using the civilian aircraft especially since they had another spy jet in the vicinity which didn't attempt to contact this plane that was 200 miles off course. So I think for that reason, I think there was something going on for sure. That It wasn't just a case of complete obliviousness by the pilots, the fact their navigational computer may have been set off, um, set slightly wrongly, which caused them to follow a different path via the autopilot. Uh, but I'm going to give it a 5.5 believability that they were actually doing something they shouldn't be. They were more aware of the situation than they'd like to have let on. But now I'll throw it back to John to round things off with a good old game of conspiracy. Okay, thank you, Callum. So it's everyone's favourite part of the episode. It's a little game we like to play at the end called Conspiracy. So for anyone new listening, the basic premise is that the host, so this week it's me, you have three conspiracy theories, two of them are genuine conspiracy theories, in as much as somebody online, at least one person believes it and has written a little bit about it, and then one of the three I've made up, and then it's the job of my co-host to try and determine which one I've made up. However, this week is a little bit different. We do have a game of traditional conspiracy right at the end, but we have three warm-up rounds just to whet your appetite a little bit. Not even two for the price to have won it. Was it four for the price of one? Four for the price of one. A cracking deal. <laughs> so uh, these, the first three are kind of quick fire. So it's just one answer. Probably don't need that much thinking about the answer compared to the kind of normal round of conspiracy. But they're all flight based. And I did say at the start of the podcast that despite being about planes and plane crashes, that we wouldn't mention 9-11. However, that is no longer the case. As of conspiracy, <laughs> because your first question is, how many hijackers were there on 9-11? Is it A, 13, B, 17, or D, uh, C, 19? <laughs> I'll go first. I'm going to go for B, 17. I'm going to go for C, 19. And Callum takes an early 1-0 lead because it was indeed 19 ah. hijackers. So I do remember research this part of our 9-11 episode. Uh, thankfully, let's lodge somewhere in my trivia <laughs> bank of useless facts. <laughs> Although by definition, this wasn't useless. That would be to score a point. <laughs> okay, so your second quickfire question is all about the kind of stories of celebrities that were supposed to be on 9-11 flights or at the Twin Towers on the day of 9-11. There were a huge number of celebrities who were supposed to be there but weren't for varying reasons which some put down to you know complete coincidence i think the most famous at least is seth mcfarlane and because 9-11 was before family guy and things like that if he had caught his plane then we would never have got family guy which some may see as a positive some as a negative <laughs> so yeah the question here is which one of these three was not supposed to be at 9-11 either on the plane or in one of the towers on the day so A is Michael Jackson, B is Camilla Parker Bowles, and C is Gwyneth Paltrow. But I think the thing is, which one of them would John have made? Oh. Do you want to go first? Okay, right, yeah, I've got, got, I'm going to a complete stab in the dark, and I'm going to say Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay, Lee. Oh, I was going to go for that one. <laughs> 
gonna go different. I'm I'm gonna go for Camilla Parker Bowles. Okay, and Lucas leveled it because oh, the one yes. I made it was Camilla Parker Bowles. I thought Michael it was a Jackson, red <laughs> Michael Jackson performed at the Twin Towers the day before and was supposed to be paying a visit the day after. And Gwyneth Paltrow was supposed to be on the flight. So in terms of this quick fire round, you got one more. So. If you go different, one of you will be taking a lead into the final round. But this one is not even conspiracy-based. This is pure trivia. And I'd be impressed if you'd know it outright, but you've obviously got the options. And it is, in which year was the first commercial plane crash in England? A, 1919. B, 1923. Or C, 1938. Right, I'm going to play it safe and go in the middle. I'm going for B, 1923. I'm going to get that in quickly first of all, Luke Okay, well, I actually know the answer to this one. It's 1919. Well, he said it with such confidence. And I don't know if it was a bluff, but he is correct. It was 1919. Fair play. So... It was a total bluff. <laughs> smart. I got it right. You shouldn't really be saying that. Right, so Luke leads 2-1 going into the final round. And I think I will make it worth two points. So that way, oh, what? You can't still have a winner. can win. Yes. Okay, so theory number one. The oxygen masks on planes contain small doses of drugs to get you effectively stoned and keep you calm in an emergency. Two, the Freemasons provide all police and air ambulances during terror attacks. And number three, flight MH370, as touched on earlier, but I didn't go down this route, was brought down by a black hole. Wow. Do you want to give us a bit more? I can give you a little bit more detail. Before you do, before you do, can I just check? Have you watched the film Fight Club? Yeah. I have Go not, on. but it is about to get mentioned. Right, so then, okay. Which Fight film? Club? Fight Club. We said Flight. <laughs> Flight Club. <laughs> how, how have you not watched Fight Club? It just doesn't appeal to me. You're literally the target demographic. <laughs> So, yeah, basically, this theory, I suppose you can see how people would come up with it anyway, but it only really stems from that Fight Club quote in which Brad Pitt says, in a catastrophic emergency, you're taking giant panicked breaths. Suddenly you become euphoric and you accept your fate. So kind of from this quote came the theory. I mean, given the fact that John hasn't watched Fight Club, I'd say that he's found that one. <laughs> Unless it's just a huge as well. <laughs> you never know. You seemed a bit shocked when I said I hadn't seen it. Oh, oh he's playing a good game here. Could have seen it very recently and it's fresh in my mind. I mean, I know you had the PS2 game. So. <laughs> Seriously, was that a thing? <laughs> yeah, if you get a chance, look it up on YouTube. It's a stink. Oh, my God. Okay, so the second one, uh, about the Freemasons providing all police and air ambulances. There have been numerous occasions and pictures where the air ambulances and the police helicopters during terror attacks quite clearly say Freemasons on the side. So the theory behind this goes that these are actually there to survey from above and ensure that any false flag terror and um, planned kind of terror exercises actually all go to plan. Mm -hmm. So they have a bird's eye view of the events and can keep an eye on it. And then MH370 being brought down by a black hole. So the evidence behind this is the lack of debris. So thinking kind of where did all that debris go? And the first thought is a black hole. Yeah. Like the middle of the ocean. The, I mean, there, there isn't a great the deal ocean. more on it. There is, um, <laughs> it's not if it's a genuine theory or not, is it? It's if it, someone believes Well, yeah, it. exactly. The black hole was created by the military as a kind of new technology trial. And the target MH370, because there were 20 technical experts on board involved in electronic warfare. Also, a bomb went off as it passed over the Malaysian jungle. And this bomb supposedly was dense enough to cause a black hole using this brand new technology. Wow. Okay. Experimenting on a passenger jet. 
Well, the Americans did it. Korean Airlines. Exactly, yeah. Well, the passenger jet and the fact that there were two, like, supposedly electronic warfare soldiers on board. Who had the weapon? Uh, don't know. So I, I was tempted to just copy Callum. So I, I did think that. Mind, to stop me doing that, I'm going to go first. I'm going I'm to go and say that the uh, Fight Club one is, unless it's a fantastic bluff, in which case you should get yourself down to the local poker club straight away. I'm going to rule that one out. The thing with the um, Freemasons one is, is a lot of people believe many things to do with the Freemasons and kind of running the world. And wouldn't be surprised if that's out there somewhere. Basically, at the same time, exactly. And at the same time, MH370 is this very mysterious. And when it first happened, like conspiracies were flying all over the place. So, given some of the answers we've had on conspiracy again, you wouldn't be surprised if someone's put two and two together and gone for that. For some reason, though, I, growing up, I just feel like John mentioned the Freemasons a lot. I feel like he has a weird obsession with them and to the point that he might actually be. <laughs> but, but by a lot, you mean maybe twice a year at a push? <laughs> I just, for some reason, I've done has mentioned them a lot. So, I feel like if you're making up a conspiracy, it would have been about the Freemasons, so I'm going to go to Freemasons. This is the made up one. Okay. Uh, and Callum, do you agree or disagree? Well, there is the to... added pressure. If you agree, you lose. <laughs> just, just to pick up on Luke's conspiracies flying around plan that did not go unnoticed, whether it was intentional or not. <laughs> it did go unnoticed by me. <laughs> it went unnoticed by me. <laughs> <laughs> As the Freemasons one go, when you mentioned it, I had the thought, right, as the actual paramedics on the ground, the ground teams are helping you up on the stretch, they're giving you that secret handshake, like, and that's yeah. the idea of <laughs> you don't give it back. <laughs> yeah, just drop you back on the ground. That's <laughs> <laughs> quite an interesting argument. That's back to me, always hiding in plain sight, writing Freemasons on all your air ambulances. That's, <laughs> I find that a little bit far-fetched. But again, again, as for maybe individual members or teams piloting them, being Masonic or Masonic members, I wouldn't quite rule that one out. So you're, you're a lot of your police will be in there, especially higher ups. As for the um, third one, the MH Black Hole one, is it is one of those ones that's just too ludicrous to be made up? Then you couldn't think it's going to be that far fetched, even though there's been so many theories surrounding its mysterious disappearance. And the first one, I because Luke's basically put his money on that one. I can't, I just can't say it for the, in the interest of the game. But it's one of those ones I think that it's almost, it's not even a conspiracy. I think it's just true that even if it's just massive hits of oxygen, will get you high. So you're high the, anyway, you're I mean, people go to <laughs> yeah, people go to oxygen bars and stuff, don't? They? Yeah. Well, you have it. Yeah, you want to go out for a couple of pints? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it might not be a strong dose, but um, right, just to make my decision, I am going to. I'm going to go for the Masonic one as the one that John has made. Uh, not that I'm accusing of being a Freemason or anything, although I do agree with Luke when he hasn't mentioned it more than anyone else. <laughs> Wait, so you're losing? Oh, right. I thought you'd pick the Fight Club one for some reason. No, I ruled that one out. <laughs> right, in that case, I'm picking the Fight Club one as the one John Vader, but he's, he's basically a massive poker player. He's got a brilliant bluff on him. Because I cannot believe that John would not think that Fight Club looks appealing. So yeah, right. Fight Club final answer. So your gamble on Fight Club has not paid off, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> the Vader one was indeed the Freemason one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, on the Fight Club one, yeah, I haven't seen the film. But apparently it's quite a popular conspiracy theory. But they, they also said that the statement made by Brad Pitt is actually inaccurate and the opposite would happen. Giving you a, a huge hit of oxygen wouldn't make you docile. It would make you... Uh, well, well, yeah, in essence, I think it would make you more panicked because you're suddenly taking loads of panic breaths. It would increase your heart rate, things like that. So I think people have latched onto that, kind of countered that point by saying, well, maybe there's small doses of drugs in there. But yeah, I mean, there's no evidence to support it, but it is a genuine conspiracy theory. Uh, the black hole one, 
again, I was a little bit concerned you might have seen this because it's actually, I mean, it's everywhere. There were thousands of articles about this. It was a very popular theory to the extent that some quite big news reporters like CBS actually commented on it and had a look at the feasibility that it was brought down by a black hole. But um, yeah, they've all concluded that it's pretty unrealistic. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing with MH370. Since before you'd brought it up, it completely left my mind. I... Yeah, yeah, it was such a huge event. But yeah, so I think that always gets conspiracy theorists out in force. Trying to outdo each other almost. One of the other popular ones was that it was brought down by a meteor, but again it was kind of saying it's so unlikely. And then, um, yeah, the Freemasons one, there is a little bit of truth in it. So there actually are pictures of the police and air ambulances at the London Bridge attack on the ground helping people in and they do have the word Freemasons and I can't remember what else written on the side it says like property of the Freemasons that is legit but the fact that they were there to uh, survey the attacks and make sure everything went to plan that was the made up part by me so fooled one should... of you almost by default because you didn't have a choice <laughs> to win the game <laughs> they displayed superior conspiracy tactics there and completely just checkmated me before I could even make a move <laughs> you know yeah, John's definitely a <laughs> my granddad is but I I'm not, sadly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Thought he was uh, paternal, grand paternal. Well, that's how you get membership. I could have membership if I wanted, but uh, I, I'm an outsider now. But it's in all the secrets. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. I'll do a million subscriber special. I'll join and fill <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and get to the top. It's first day at the office, you going off in a pool. <laughs> Just say that it was a good game of conspiracy there. Nice, interesting take. I think it's challenging the next toast, which I believe is me to also maybe to deviate from the path most trodden with regards to conspiracy. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We've had some nice comments about it in the past. They don't feel too pressured to try and one-up me because otherwise, in about 10 podcast time, it's going to be a full eight-round pub quiz on conspiracy <laughs> theories. Don't rule it out. We do, do interactive. ITV are going to be So yeah, I suppose that brings the whole podcast to a close. Thanks very much to everyone who listens on YouTube and on uh, all the other platforms. It is really great that you listen to us still because we're now 16 episodes in, which I think is maybe longer than some of us thought we might go on. We got no plans of stopping now. We're really enjoying the kind of momentum and all these different topics and just delving deeper into the kind of rabbit hole that is conspiracy theories. As mentioned before, please do feel free to drop a comment. We do love reading those and interacting with those. And yeah, keep challenging the status quo.